Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode eight, Feeling Great, the Holding Court podcast. Justin and I are here with you today. Are you freestyling? I don't know. It felt right. Felt great. Is that your HQ? uh, (laughs) Trivia. (laughs) Trivia. Question eight, feeling great. Is that what they say? I think he says, hope you're feeling great. Oh, hope you're feeling great. Question eight. I don't know. He's got all that. That's not even a topic. HQ, but you guys should go play it. It's fun. Yeah. Maybe we'll get into that one day. (laughs) We've got a fun little show today. Talking some sports. We got KBO, UFC. 249 that was held the last dance got to talk about it because everyone's talking about it we have a special guest today from chla and our little favorite the social media segment your turn should be a good show not necessarily in that order but we are going to touch it all i think it is in that order is that the order i think it is oh do you want to switch it up i see what you did there (laughs) (laughs) isn't that what you're supposed to do when you give a little outline yeah, you, you're smarter than me, though. You went to UCLA. Plug. And yeah, I think we obviously start always with a little JTF update and a little foundation update talking about the Dream Center. I know last week we mentioned they hit 500,000 meals, which is huge. huge. They're still going and energy is still there. Everything's great. We had a f- couple fun little deliveries this week we had press juicery out again we had yogurt land that was the best and the timing was so good because it was on that day that was like 95 degrees and so they came out and brought some yogurt cups for all the kids and the families to enjoy those videos of the kids like seeing their face in the back seat uh it was priceless seeing that they were driving up there they'd probably driving through there a couple times i'm assuming and knew they were getting meals but when they saw they were getting yogurt land and they lit up it was so cool yeah yeah i I enjoyed that yogurt was cool the moment was cool yes and then wahoo's fish tacos came up brought some burritos i think it was wahoo's is good yeah it was a fun fun week they're still going the energy's good and we have our our usual suspects our restaurants that we're sending up there as always toro grill house coming through with the tacos uh baby blues barbecue Vince's market and giamella's with that pasta and garlic bread that every time i see it i just want it so bad it was a uh <laughs> if you've drove through if you've drove through there at the dream center one of the one of the main guys, one of the entertainers, one of the guys that's so energetic and passionate. I believe it was his birthday today, right? It was. Pastor Kenny. Happy Man, birthday. Shout yeah, out. Special shout out to Pastor Kenny who brings the energy. They all bring the energy, but nothing like oh, yeah. Pastor Kenny brings some serious energy. And he's just blessing that line and everyone that's coming <laughs> through there. What's his saying about the window? What does he say? Oh, you got So when you pull up, you have to obviously wear your mask when you pull into the, the lot to get in line. They obviously check to make sure everyone has a mask. If you don't have one, they have them there to provide for you. But then you're going to hear from Kenny to put that blessing window down so you can you'll receive <laughs> your goods. So I, I kept saying it when we were there um, last week. I just kept saying, you know blessing window down you know the goods are coming gotta in gotta roll I, that blessing window down and i was hitting them with the girl scout cookies and the press juice and toilet paper and everything and just setting them up for them to get their dinner and and head home and yeah he's the best 11 yeah. hours of just energy it's not even when just like the cameras are going he is just nonstop. non-stop i mean he is you know i don't even think he knows the cameras are there i think that's just him and he's just all the time ready to go so he is a joy to be around so yeah we're happy to keep supporting everything that they're doing 
And yeah, it's just great to see. So yeah, if you guys don't follow along on the Dream Center social media, I know Justin posts a few videos every day, but you have to check it out because yeah, some of the kids' faces and all of that when they get their goods just brightens up your day. Go street, go Dream Center, go. And speaking of brightening up your day, well, your night, your late night. Late night. KBO. K KBO. It's on. It's rolling. Korean baseball is going. And yeah, they started their season last week. I think it's they have 10 teams in the league. And they signed on to broadcast with ESPN, I think, six games a week. So they have an English broadcast that they play. And it's late. But for me, it's good because I'm naturally a bit of a night owl. And so... I'm just starting to come alive when these games are coming on. It's not good for me because <laughs> it's like wind down time. 2.30, right, is when it starts or 1.30? We 1 like 30? to have our wind down time. It's when we have our psalm sleep and not sponsored. <laughs> and we just get in bed. I'll read a lot. or But Justin wants to watch an action movie. I don't know if I've talked about this. His idea of winding down, he's like, I have to watch Braveheart. a movie. He picks like 300 or like Gladiator Braveheart. And I'm like, I just want to have a glass of warm milk and I don't drink milk, but warm water. But here's the problem is that's, that's soothing to me, but you turn that, that winds me down. William Wallace winds you down. Yes. It gets me ready to go to sleep. And you know what doesn't wind me down a baseball game. And that fires me up and it gets me so excited. And I know that I'm going to stay up for three more hours watching Aaron Althair hit 500 foot homers in the Korean league. So, um, I was I watching it. a lot. I was watching the cheerleaders. I really enjoyed the mascot situation. You have that, a huge mascot that's thing. That's where like, I. That's really where I come alive. I the cheerleaders with the masks and their dance moves were very fresh. I love the cardboard cutouts. They had some. Spe- I don't know if you were all watching. I'm hoping you guys were watching. At least DVR didn't watched it in normal hours of the day. They had BTS, the band, cardboard cutouts. I don't know if you saw those. <laughs> I saw that. They had cats, babies. I saw dogs. There was a dog in like a dugout club seat. Did they have Bark in the Park? That's pricey. <laughs> That's like a $500 seat at Dodger Stadium. You're putting your dog in that seat. Is it all you can eat milk, bu- milk bones? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. It's so cute. I, I love the cutouts. I think it does make a difference. It's they, Well, they also they had fans in the Taiwanese league. This week, I think they let a thousand fans in. Yeah, I saw the post of the first girl that came through the gates and she was the first fan of 2020 to come to a baseball game. It's just a buzz. Like just baseball just creates that energy, that buzz, that excitement. And I'm happy to have it on TV and I'm happy to watch it. And um, People were getting their betting on too. They were trying to figure out on like FanDuel how to place their bets for KBO and trying to look up players and Someone was like, I don't know who I'm picking. I don't know if I'm betting my house on this. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm using my app to bet. And they were excited and I just loved it. Didn't you say something happened with the umpires? Oh, yeah. They move quick in the KBO. And this is definitely the opposite of MLB because I feel like this does not happen. I think you're very safe if you're a MLB umpire. At least that's my opinion. So after three games, one of the teams, they were not... Ha- so they have kind of the same like unspoken rule of like you shouldn't say anything about the umpire yeah, and crew after a game. Yeah. yeah, so it's disrespectful. But they decided as a whole that the umpire, the strike zone was so bad. And they said it was confusing and they just couldn't get it together. And so they sent that entire crew down to their minor leagues. I think it's called like their futures league. 
they that's see crazy. Three games. Yeah, that's get, get better and come back. I guess. Yeah, that's wild. I, it was a bold move. <laughs> I mean, you're so excited to be back in there, and you're umpiring, and then you mess up, and you gotta go. Well, I don't. I didn't see the game, and I didn't see how bad they were. And I know, I know a lot of our umpires and have a pretty good relationship with most most of them. And I know, you know, for the most part, not for the most part. I think all of them are trying to get it right and and trying to be right. And um, you know, sometimes there are bad games, but that is. That's like player-like, you know, if player, if, as a player, you have a bad game. There's a very good chance that, you know, you could get sent down to the minor league. So that's, that's wild. I think it's always good to never be too comfortable in your job and to always feel like you could lose it. I don't know. I just feel like for me, if you're comfortable and you think you're safe, you might start to relax a little bit. So maybe it's good to light a little fire and come back and do better <laughs> yeah that's one way to look at it I think you're I think you're right I think you have to crave and desire and be curious to get more information and and want to continue to better yourself no matter what position you're in whether you're an umpire or a player or or anything in life like you should always be trying to strive to be better the next day speaking of mishaps there was a little well a big one on ESPN. Oh no. On one of the broadcasts. I don't know if you guys saw this on I think everyone saw it. Everyone's Twitter. probably texted him already. So Trevor Bauer was kind enough to go on the ESPN broadcast via FaceTime for I think it was the LC Twins and the NC Dinos game. And I think when you go on Zoom or when you do FaceTime, I think you've seen the name of the person because sometimes one like one of your teammates will be on, it'll be like their wife's iPad or something. So sometimes it'll show up whoever's account it is, they accidentally broadcasted Trevor's number on the very top of his phone screen. number, his phone number, phone number, not his Jersey number, not his Jersey number, his, his phone, phone number. number. So as you can imagine, even though it was a late night special of a game, he was bombarded with calls, <laughs> calls, FaceTimes, you name it. He, uh, all of it, probably Venmo requests, all of that. So he turned it into kind of a, I guess, a good way to... He handled it so much better than I would have. I wouldn't have. Been. I've had the same number since I was like 12. I feel like I've had this number for 20 years. So that would... I mean, I don't know. There's times when I think it would be kind of freeing to just up and change your number and not have anyone have it and just be able to give it to a select few people. But I don't know. You never know when someone from like eighth grade wants to call you and apologize for something they did. You just got to keep that line of communication open. But yeah, for him, he turned it into a contest and gave away cleats and a baseball signed. And I think it was you had to call his voicemail and get the rules because he yeah. just had to shut his phone off because obviously you can't. Everything is just a mess at that point. And so, yeah, he turned it into a good way to get some followers on his I think what Twitter, Instagram and his YouTube account. Yep. Yep. He said you had to follow the accounts and submit your following and then you were entered into the competition to win cleats he he handled it so good i i would have i would have not been happy if that happened and you know now he's now he's in a predicament because you know he's in the middle of trying to figure out how to change phone numbers and That's all brutal. his information and what do you say the the um two-factor authentic the two-factor authentication yeah the verification like when you log yeah. into some of your accounts it uses that phone number to verify you and so he said it's going to be a little tricky to switch over those accounts i feel so bad it was 
Yeah. That's brutal. But wow. Yeah. I can't believe that happened. <laughs> That's a KBO big whoopsie. In the KBO, you know. That's a big whoopsie. Yeah. Yeah, other sports kind of slowly peaking out a little bit. UFC uh 249 was on May 9th couple days ago in Florida. It was originally supposed to be in New York on I think April 9th and they moved it a month out and held it in Florida. Jacksonville. They, yeah, they tested everyone, broadcasters, I know Joe Rogan and all that. They were tested. They it was interesting because Joe was able to do the interviews with them after, but yet they kept them all around the octagon so they spaced out the three broadcasters so he was like wait i can't sit next to the other broadcasters even though we've already been tested but i'm able to do my interviews (laughs) with the guys so and the girls so it's i think everyone's just figuring the kinks out obviously this is a new situation and protocols are not figured out yet but that was just an interesting thing he's like we all tested well one guy tested positive and so they had to pull his fight completely off the card but Joe was like, I'm confused how one thing is right. And I don't know. I think it's going to be a whole lot of that for a lot of different places for a while. Absolutely. And it was, it was wild. I didn't watch, we didn't tune into like the main ticket and watch it, but we, when we got into bed, uh, I don't think there was a KBO game on, but they were replaying some of the fights um, that night and we watched some of it and it was crazy how just clear you can hear the trainers and the coaches uh, shouting out instructions to their fighters. When when you watch them with fans, you can't really hear them. And I think you had said that you read somewhere that one fighter actually literally claimed he won the fight because he could hear his yeah. trainer telling him what to do when normally he couldn't hear that. Yeah, he was shouting things at him and he said he could hear it. And normally I think it's probably a little bit more of a challenge. You have every noise coming from you and or coming from every which way at you. And so it's hard to kind of you know, differentiate what's your coach and all that. So it was definitely different. You know, obviously we've talked about WWE and their crowd is such a important part of that. And I think UFC is so similar. I think it might've felt like, I don't know, just like a practice to them, but I think it's a sign of good things to come. And I I read somewhere that Dana White is getting all these phone calls now from other sporting organizations saying how'd you do it or what did you do how'd you pull it off and kind of (laughs) he's kind of the trailblazer for sports coming back so I'm it was good to see again I feel like KBO and UFC it's not what we would I mean I've watched UFC we've watched UFC the bigger fights and all that but I think they're not our favorite it's not our and go-to but it's something yeah it's sports yeah and it's it's good to watch and it's similar to we'll get into the last dance they had episode seven and eight i feel like every i mean this would do phenomenal regardless but it really does seem like every single person is watching this docuseries and watching it pretty much live no one's waiting to watch it later in the week it's sunday night and everyone's tuning into the last dance it's so good and uh man it's it's sad thinking that next week's going to be the last two don't episodes. Even say it. I know. I know. Yeah, I'm going to get a tear out of you and you don't even cry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cry like Michael rolling on the floor with the game ball. After Father's the, Day. Ugh. They're so, was, these were so good. And the, this was, they were, they were emotional. And I think we kind of knew it was leading up to that moment in 1993 when 
Michael walked away from the game. He lost his father. He said he wanted to win three championships. He accomplished everything he needed to do and he was done. And there was, they showed the footage of that White Sox game where, you know, they started to have little rumblings of him walking away and him retiring. And it just created a complete media storm. And then he did the press conference and he was done at the moment. It's it's crazy how fast news traveled even in, 93 because you know he was up in the suite and Reinsdorf had just got the news and somehow the field reporter had figured it out before the game was over and broke the news even though there was supposed to be a secret so without Twitter without Instagram without all the social media it's still spread fast it is so nutty to think about news and newspapers and having to wait for those headlines to kind I mean obviously you would have breaking news and all that, but it's so different to think about having to wait for, you know, the news at nine to hear the stories or sports center in the morning and all that. So that was crazy to think about watching that scene from 1993 and how different it would be if that happened in this current time. And then after all of the, the press conference was done, then it started to have the rumors of you know, was Michael forced out of the game? Was he serving this 18-month suspension yeah. for his gambling problems and all the conspiracy theorists saying that they kind of forced him out? And they had someone on there trying to, you know, debunk that rumor saying, if you're the NBA, are you really pulling out your, essentially your moneymaker? You know, he's he pretty much was the NBA, the most popular player and. They were like, would you really make that choice to pull him out of the game when, you know, he's at the peak of his career, he just won three championships, all the money and attention and fans that comes with that. That was such a reach. It was such a reach. But I was on Twitter last night and people are still like, I'm not, that didn't prove anything. Like, obviously they're going to say that that was the case and blah, blah, blah. I think it was the commissioner came on and was like, that was absolutely not true. And they're like, of course he's going to say, there's still the conspiracy theorists out there saying there's that. there's no way you run your best player in the game out of the game secretly like that like i don't you know, i can't see that happening for for gambling like he didn't it wasn't like he broke any laws or anything like that he was you know he went to the casino with his dad and he was competitive and you don't i mean i think that's a huge reach and i still think it's a reach and i'll always think it's a reach and i think i believe everyone that says that there was absolutely no truth to that. Yeah, and how would you keep that under wraps? Some sort of a document or a meeting or a transcript or something would have been leaked yeah. even in that time. I feel like that was pretty silly. And yeah, all that led up to the baseball Birmingham Barons of Michael Jordan. I that got to was, play. I got to play in Birmingham. That is so cool. So they started him out in double A. He went through, he got his invitation. It was that press conference announcing him wearing the White Sox uniform. Obviously me as a lifelong White Sox fan. That was a very cool time. And (laughs) yeah, they said they sent him to double A because the facility, the media facility and all that was the only one that would be acceptable. So they had to just bypass all the the A ball before that. Well, the facility was actually a football facility. That's why it was big enough to hold the fans and have the media and be able to, you know, have Michael there. But they talked about it in the show. It was insane that 
you know, he hadn't played baseball since his senior year of high school. And then he was how old? 31 years old. 31. And he goes straight to double A. Like that is, that is such an enormous jump. Um, yeah. Like enormous jump. So for him to go out and I mean, obviously he's an unbelievable athlete and, and, you know, he could probably do whatever he wanted to do. And the work ethic was off the charts as they showed, but you know, for him to go out and hit 200 and uh, hit a couple home runs and, and he drove in 50 run, 51 runs. That's the 13 game hitting streak to start the season. Yeah. How wild is that? Is that they needed any reason to, they found out they didn't have to throw him fastballs. That's what happened. Oh man. The, there came the breaking balls. <laughs> then came and then, the breaking balls. But then what did he do? He showed up to work and he hit early and then he hit batting practice and then he hit after batting practice and then he hit in the game and then he hit after the game and he would ask his hitting coach, what time we're we going tomorrow. And it was just really cool. And, you know, I think that era, that time, uh, you know, I forgot a lot of people forgot like Terry Francona was his manager. Mm -hmm. Like that was pretty wild. And you look, go back and look at some of the teammates. I, I talked to Steve Sachs a lot of times. He was on that roster. We looked it up. Yeah. I think he came down and played in a rehab game or something. And I don't know if he played with, Michael when he was there he had to have right I mean if he played in any games that year he would have played with Michael so next time I see Saxy I want to I'm going to have to ask him some some MJ stories when he was on that rehab assignment and I guarantee you Saxy said hey I'm going to go on this rehab assignment in uh Birmingham I can't talk right now in Birmingham Red leather yellow leather. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would wouldn't you request it yeah are you kidding me like even if you have to get on a plane or whatever, if it was a little further than, are um, you flying in double A? You're flying in double A. Uh, no, no, you're busing. That bussin'. was pre-K, so I bussin'. don't. Bussing. Oh, you're busing. Okay, so if you got to take, you know. Well, I think, didn't Jordan buy like a bus or something for the team? And I don't remember. I don't know. It, it wasn't in the, the documentary. ESPN but 30 for 30. Yeah. Maybe they left that out. They used some of that footage in the. Well, it's called Jordan Rides the Bus. Show last night. That was great. We were actually talking a little bit after. If you would love having him come into your team in AAA or if you feel like it would be a distraction or you felt like, okay, I worked so hard to get up to this point and this guy just strolls in. Obviously, it's not just any guy. It's obviously Michael Jordan. You said you would love it because yeah. obviously it would lead to probably more exposure and just kind of friggin' cool. Well, <laughs> I think... You know, it's kind of happening right now with Tim Tebow, like playing in the NFL, not to that level, obviously, but I mean, Tebow's playing professional baseball and you kind of just get the sense that like, oh, is this for real? Is this a publicity stunt? Like what's happening? And then I think what guys have probably learned and found out with Tebow is the same that they've learned and found out with Michael is he's serious and he was there to work and he was there to take it serious and play the game right and play the game hard and um, and, and there to learn. And when you have a teammate that is doing that, like it's hard not to respect it. Yeah. And he went through it. Like everyone thought it was a joke or, you know, he's going through this whole thing and, you know, having trouble, you know, mourning the loss of his father and that's why he's doing it. And he wanted to work and he was serious and it wasn't a publicity stunt. It wasn't a gimmick. He was out there and he was grinding. And I feel like you have to respect that. And, Obviously, you remember the headline, Air Jordan and all that, and that was brutal. And, you know, I don't think he wanted anyone to feel bad for him. I think he just wanted to prove that, you know, he could do it and, and he wanted to work for it. You know what, you know what 
irked me a little bit on that Air Jordan headline was they showed the clip of him going back on a fly ball and like crashing into the fence and he didn't catch it. And then they popped up the, the headline Air Jordan. And it's like, come on, like, really? Like, that's, that's it could the have been clip. a sun double. It was a night game, I think. It could have been a sun double. <laughs> but he crashed into the wall. I mean, it's just, I think people. I've seen some major league players do that same little dance. That's my point. I think people like don't realize how hard the game of baseball is and don't realize how special it was for him to, you know, even accomplish what he did. And, you know, a lot of people talk about the strike in 94, 95 and, you know, what that did to, you know, the Expos and blah, 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 blah. But it doesn't get talked about that that pretty much ended Michael's baseball career. And there was multiple people on mm-hmm. the documentary saying that if he would have kept playing, they believe uh, he would have played in the major leagues. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like you mentioned that he was this incredible athlete, but I feel like you've probably had some athletes from other teams come in and take batting practice or hang out with you guys before a game. And it does not always translate into a good swing or being a good athlete in in all sports. A hundred percent. Like the Kings come out all the time and hit. And I mean, I don't know. I haven't gone and done this yet. Uh, Gavin Lux went and worked out with the Kings and had a hard time like with a slap shot. Like he, he swung and missed a couple of times. So uh, he said, oh man, it's so much harder than it looks, but I think I could, I could hit a slap shot and it's kind of similar to a baseball swing. And now I don't know if I can do it on ice. Like that's a whole nother story, but in my shoes on the ground, I can definitely do it. And it's <laughs> kind of similar to a baseball swing. And so you think like these hockey guys would get out there and I mean, I'm not saying that they're, they're bad or anything, but it's, it's definitely harder than I think they thought it was going to be to hit a baseball. And then we've had like Blake Griffin and his brother have come out and hit and, uh, you know, have trying to hit a home run and, you know, Blake couldn't hit a home run, but his brother hit a home run. So, uh, it's definitely interesting watching that cross sport culture and stepping into another person's world and attempting to live in that world, uh, is interesting. I did the iron sharpens iron thing, Mm -hmm. uh, with Sloan Stevens and I mean, I'm a terrible tennis player, <laughs> to be honest with you. I'm just not good at pickleball it. Pickleball is your thing, I think. Uh, I'm not good at pickleball either, but that is a great event, and I think it should be in the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it was cool to see him in the dugout and that I feel like basketball, obviously you have the time, you know, sitting on the bench and the banter and all that, but there's just something so slow and nice and easy about the game of baseball for fans, for players. So to see him be able to have that change of pace and just hang out and be with those guys and how cool to, for honestly, for them to be just sitting in the dugout with Michael Jordan and bullshitting back and forth. I feel like, I don't know, that had to be pretty cool, but I feel like it was good for him. And I think he probably loved it. Like, obviously he, we found out was craving the return to go back to play basketball, but I feel like that had to be such a nice break for him. I think not a break because he was working as, butt off but a break in the sense of a different sport i think the highlight of the teammates of his uh was and we talked about this was when he hit his first home run and he finished doing his media or whatever and he came back in the clubhouse and all the guys were there waiting with beers and then chased him down the hallway dumping beer on his head like all those guys got to dump beers (laughs) on mj's head after he hit his homer like that is so cool and those 
I mean, I'm sure those guys, that's something that they'll, they're still talking about and we'll talk about for the rest of their life that summer they spent on a baseball field with, with Michael Jordan. Yeah, they didn't talk to any of the I wish they would have. I wish they would have brought some of those guys on and, and I mean, talked talk to, to them. I, Terry, I guess it's a basketball documentary. It's not a baseball documentary, but it was a very important part yeah. of Jordan's life. Um, but it would be so cool to talk to some of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have to mention that meeting when this all ended before he went back to play basketball at Baker Square. Uh, do you remember... <laughs> Have you ever been to Baker Square? I don't think so. The fact that this meeting with BJ happened where he was like, oh, let's meet up at Baker Square. And this is peak Michael fame in 1995. And he is just deciding to go. It's kind of like a like a Boston market or a, I don't know Baker how to. Baker Square. I don't really? know. Really? The pie? Do you think they had pie? Maybe. You don't even know what Baker Square is. Last week, you didn't know what Magic the Gathering is. This week, Baker Square I was like so tunnel vision playing baseball. I don't know what anything is. <laughs> but yeah, he said come out to the practice facility. And then obviously once you're there, it's media is going to go crazy and the frenzy and all of that. So you can't just go meet someone at a, like a random place like that now. Like I just want to know what that looked like because we read I read an article that Jordan would call up or obviously have his agent or assistant call up the Jewel Osco, which is a grocery store in Chicago, and he would go grocery shopping after they closed, which I guess there's no Instacart and maybe didn't want his assistant to go grocery <laughs> shopping for him. But it was just such a funny visual to think about him saying, oh, let's just meet up at Baker Square and then come so over casual. to the practice facility. And obviously there's media outside the practice facility and they see his car drive in and then obviously suspicions are raised about what that means it's just interesting like the whole thing is him just floating around and not being bombarded which he was bombarded i mean he everywhere he went so uh you think they would find a a little bit more private place to to meet up but i don't know do we have time to talk about space jam we always have time to talk about space jam i i want to talk about space jam i think that was so cool i was blown away by when they mentioned Jordan, obviously, so obviously he makes his return to basketball and he is out of shape by his standards. He's got the shorts on backwards. That was like the best part. <laughs> I I'm can't like, believe he wore shorts <laughs> backwards. That's unbelievable. I can't even, you wouldn't even be able to count how many times you've put on your uniform in your career and college, high school, everything. And have, has anything ever ended up backwards? Um, I mean, you know what happens a lot in baseball is you put on like the wrong hat or the wrong colored jersey. But, but I don't know backwards. about backwards. Did he do it like, on purpose? <laughs> I don't think he, I think he was just nervous. I think he had a lot yeah. going on. It was his first game back. It was, you know, I think he was, he was really nervous. And they actually talked about it a lot, how like tough it was for him that first game back. Yeah. But I loved how they built the, so going back to Space Jam, they built the Jordan Dome because he wanted to, he was filming all, I don't think I realized how, intense of a filming schedule he had obviously I know movies and all that will have sometimes 16 hour days but I guess I thought with him he would be kind of excused from longer film I don't know why but in my mind I didn't think he would have those long of days but that was intense and while he's trying to you know build up to that next season and so they build him the Jordan Dome and then he gets all these players to come out and play pickup games and Rodman was there could you imagine being able to watch those they said sometimes they play for three hours until 10 o'clock at night and then he would work out after 
But I, I am, I didn't even remember that they built that like facility for him. Like yeah. when they showed that, I was like, oh my God, how do I not remember this? Like, this is what's great about the show is like, you remember so many things that, you know, just kind of like slip your mind and just go away. And you're like, oh my God, I forgot. Like they built an entire gym for him. He had like a 7am wake up call and then he would do his acting and then he would train and then he would play his pickup games and then he would work out after and ah, I don't, I don't know how he, I don't know how he did it and how he had the energy and it just, just shows you why he was the best. Yeah. There was a lot of, oh gosh, there was, this was a roller coaster this, this week and the ups and the downs, there was a lot of discussion about his work ethic and there was actually, you know, so much emotion coming out of him at the end of episode seven where he actually had to excuse himself. And then I think it was in episode eight, you saw his trainer get emotional about his work ethic. That was a lot. And, you know, I think the one part that stood out to me, I don't want to misquote it, but I probably will, was when he mentioned that the one thing you, you can't say about him is that um, he was having people do things that he wouldn't do himself. So he, if he was asking you to grind and work hard or do a drill, he was right there next to you doing it, or he had already done it. Yep. And I think that is so, that was so important. I kept thinking about that in a teammate or a coworker or something like that, just leading by example. It wasn't like, it's that, what's the phrase? Do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. It's like you, it's hard to respect someone if they're like, oh, you should be going and working on that. I'd rather see you doing that and say, oh, well, that's what he's doing to be great. I want to do that same thing. Those are the dynamics of leadership that, you know, make great leaders great is when you say something or when you tell someone to do something, it actually is holding yourself accountable to make sure you're doing those same things that you're preaching to, you know, the guys around you. You can't yell at someone, hey, why aren't you going in conditioning? And then you skip out on conditioning. You can't say, hey, why aren't you getting in the weight room? Uh, when you're not getting in the weight room. So that like leadership and that, you know, accountability is insane. And I I mean, that's like watching him go through his workouts and pushing, uh, you know, it reminded me a lot of Kershaw and how he goes about his workouts and how just, I mean, insane it is that everything, he doesn't skip or miss a rep any day of the week, no matter what's going on, uh, he goes about it. And so, you know, that's why when he speaks, um, you know, obviously he's got a long list of accomplishments, but when he speaks, people listen. And same thing with Jordan, you know, they talked about his relationship with his teammates and, um, you know, he, he talked the talk, but he also walked the walk and, and he, he had the accountability to support anything that he was saying. No, a hundred percent. It was such a good insight into him and seeing him tear up and, I feel like that's, it's such a different time. You know, you think about this year and would someone like Michael Jordan be able to exist as an athlete and the way that he pushed his teammates and the way that he, I mean, now it would be always bullying his teammates or things would be leaked to social media that, I mean, you never heard about him getting into it with Steve Kerr back then because (sighs) it was a matter between the guys. And obviously, yeah, the book leaked and all of that about the Jordan rules and, but most of this stuff was private and it was just how 
he led and how he pushed guys and and you saw with Scott Burrell where he just stayed on him and he was like I'm trying to get him mad I'm trying to work him up and that guy's you, a saint and then you yeah I know he was like he's so nice he he's was like never, the he sweetest just, human on the I planet know, but then you just see upset. that picture of him just like clutching the the trophy and and I'm sure he's thankful to him and you know it's I just don't I think I think it's so different now but I think that he has gotten a lot of heat over the years for how he was and if you know guys thought he was a jerk or this and that or you know that the perspective of a fan what they would think of him but I think this just shows you how much he cared how much he wanted to win and how much he wanted other guys to win around him yeah and it was I mean it was tough it was tough watching his teammates like kind of like stumble over the question of what kind of teammate Michael was yeah like I'm like, wait a minute, like this guy won six championships. So like, how are you questioning whether he was a good guy? Like he pushed you guys to the max to get the best out of you. So or when they asked, was he a nice guy or what was it? They asked if he was a nice guy or yeah. something like that. And you're, you, I don't know, but I don't, maybe he didn't want to be viewed as nice in the sense of a teammate. He wanted to be viewed as someone that made guys better and set that example. I think it was just he wanted to win no yeah. matter what. And he was going to – you were either on board or you weren't on board. So uh, he was going to push you and push you and push you. And, you know, the other thing that was great about him and it really showed in this last episode was how he took any little slight or any little insult and he turned it into motivation for him. Like yeah. everything. He made stuff not, up. He made stuff up. He did. And little things like the George Carl not saying hi to him at a restaurant and who was it? LeBradford Smith saying good <laughs> not, game, he Michael. Didn't say, or it. didn't say, God, this guy's probably been rattled for 30 years over this, but every little thing. And BJ, when he was on was it the Hornets yep, and, you know, kind of game playing. Two and he got excited. Yeah. He got a, a little excited, looked over at Phil, looked over at Michael and got a little showy and he didn't like it. And he just turned that and the best he's like, that's all I needed. And like the savagery <laughs> in this documentary is so good when he watches the clips on his little tablet and he's just cracking up. It's just so good. Like, Oh, it was so good this week. It was just such a range of emotion where I was laughing out loud and obviously wasn't crying. Cause I don't have normal human emotion, but there were moments where I would have cried if I was a crier and just the up and down and the sprinkle of Space Jam. And it was just, it was so good. I, again, I cannot believe this is ending next week. There were so many great clips, but one of my other favorite, which there's a lot of them, was when he was sitting in the locker room with the cigar in his mouth, holding the baseball bat. Just plotting. <laughs> just <the> like <laughs> plotting like the absolute assassination on the court. Like, I think that was when he was talking about it's easy for you to talk shit when it's when unbelievable quote. When when that's up. a great quote. I yeah. want to get that quote like put up in our <laughs> locker room. It's easy to talk shit when you're up. But if he was saying, if you can talk shit when it's zero, zero or you're behind, then yeah. he's like, that's when, you know, I want to hear it. But he's like, it's when you're up, like that doesn't mean anything to yes. me. Yes. That was so cool. Oh man. man. So many lessons, so much to learn from. That's we could great. go on and on and on about this but yeah episodes nine and ten next week we'll be discussing them maybe i'll weep maybe that'll be when i cry uh well you almost cried a couple of days ago 
I almost cried a couple of days ago. Are you for talking the, about soup plantation? <laughs> for the ending of something else. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Guys, soup plantation, because of COVID-19, they do not see how they'll be able, how buffets can exist in a post-COVID-19 world. And I don't know if I want to live in a buffetless world. I don't know. I So soup plantation announced that they're not going to reopen any of their restaurants. So soup plantation and sweet tomatoes. And that is heartbreaking for me. I can't explain to you how much I love soup plantation and their dinner coupons and their tuna tarragon and their ranch dressing and their homemade pickles and those little, uh, what are they? The dinner rolls, the honey butter and the spaghetti and the soft serve with the homemade caramel drizzle that you put on top of it. That's all you got to describe it. <laughs> she it's really loves so, soup plantation. So this is I would tough. go there this by is... myself a lot. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. I would post up there all the time. I have so many friends that love going to soup plantation with me. It is no more. I'm hoping they'll figure out a way to work it out. I actually had an idea and maybe if anyone that owns soup plantation is listening and wants to hear my pitch, I think that they could maybe take an order. Like I don't know if you guys have been to some Japanese restaurants or a lot of taco places do this where you fill out a little card of your ingredients and then they bring it out for you. So maybe in like the counter, yeah, like the counter in do a that? little time, maybe you guys can just do that and stick around <laughs> <laughs> for me. Oh, oh man. man. If I, like I saw a tweet that said, if I knew that was the last time I was going to soup plantation, I would have went harder. Yeah. Right. I you would have gone back one more time. No, I just would have went. I don't know if I could ever go harder at Soup Plantation. That is definitely a place where I lay down in the booth and I hate myself for like. It's so good though. Twenty minutes. So good. But then you're hungry like a little bit later. Would you have met Jordan at Soup Plantation? I, the Baker Square. Oh man, that actually is perfect because it brings us to our your turn segment this week. I asked everyone what restaurant they cannot wait to go to when all this is over and it's normal because obviously we're able to do pickup at a lot of places right now but it does not hit the same and a lot of people want sushi and it just doesn't hit the same at home no that when you're in the restaurant and you have your sake and you're just doesn't feel fresh no i mean we've still had it like yeah. we've I think we've had, oh, we got it one time, but it's just not the same. Some no. people wanted pho and I feel like, I don't know why I was surprised because I do love me some Benihana and some Japanese hibachi. Benihana was the most popular answer. I think it was aside from maybe In-N-Out and Wood Ranch, which I can always mess with some Wood Ranch wings and that soup. I think it's Brisket like and a ribs. sirloin and mushroom soup that they have. It's oh, yeah. so good and their buffalo sauce and the Oh gosh, I'm going to stop. I'm hungry. Listen, Can you guys tell? The people can't live without their onion ring volcanoes. That's just what it is. And then we do the little truth. train sometimes and it's like toot toot, the little steam out of the top with the onion train. Or when the chef's like spinning the egg and like oh, flipping it Oh, and the it heart of the fried rice. Oh my goodness. And, and then the, the shrimp. I He's throwing the shrimp around the table. I know. I don't know if you can. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that anymore I in don't a post COVID nineteen world. They're not touching world. it with their hand. It's the spatula the whole time, right? <sighs> if we lose that soup plantation, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> now you've gone too far, quarantine. But yeah, a lot of a lot of people want authentic Mexican food, and they want it right then and there. They don't want to bring it home. It's just so different. A lot of people buffalo wild wings. A lot of steakhouses, which I think you and I talked about going and getting a good meal, a glass of wine, yes. not having to cook, 
and just that feeling of being out and missing dinners happy hours setting yeah yeah, a lot of people nobu and malibu javier's in newport beach you guys are big ballers someone someone put uh (laughs) someone wrote in and out i got news for you like it's open just drive through and get it they want to sit in there no one sits. No one I, wants to sit. In oh, I've now. sat in there a lot of times. I mean, I have, but like, I don't think it's like any different than driving through. I think maybe people might be a little weary about going to restaurants right now too. So maybe even the drive-through, if someone's not doing that, I know a lot of people that haven't had one meal delivered or drive-through or anything. Full disclosure: we've had in and out at least three times. I don't know why you have to put a sound blast like that, but that's true. Full disclosure: it's true. This all made me so hungry. Korean barbecue, Casa Vega, and Sherman Casa Oaks, Vega, yes. Texas Roadhouse, Carmine's in the Forum Shops at Caesar's Palace. Don't ugh, don't even talk about Vegas with me. Carbone in New York. We've been in the one in Vegas. Oral yeah. took us there. It was so good. Zana so in Brentwood. I haven't heard of that. Rocco's Tavern in Pasadena. Someone wants a bacon-wrapped hot dog in downtown LA off a cart, and I... I'm I'll not, live for that. I'm not mad at that. Yeah, I'm in on that. Miyagi's, all you can eat sushi in San Bernardino, Cheesecake Factory, Chili's, that chips and salsa from Chili's. Give me four bags of that. All you can eat. And that Just watery ass salsa that I love so much. <laughs> <laughs> but they did get rid of their broccoli cheddar soup, which is a disservice to anyone that's ever been to a Chili's. You know what's tough about being dairy free? Broccoli cheddar soup? No, the queso. Oh, yeah, with like the chunks of whatever it was, meat, which you don't really know. It's so hard to walk in the door to a Chili's knowing that you're not going to be able to order the queso. It's so bad. Someone said dugout club at Dodger Stadium. Ugh. That's a good one. Masa and Silver Lake. Yes, Masa. Chicago deep dish. B-Y-O-W, right? Yeah, you can bring your own wine. I think yeah. There's a night that where they don't have a corkage fee. It's great. It takes but, yeah. a long... Th- if you ever go to Masa, if you haven't heard of it and you want to go, it's... Chicago style deep dish pizza, but you need to call ahead and put your order in because yeah. it literally takes like 45 minutes to an hour for them to make yeah. your pizza. So you your can pizza. call in your way and say, pop in a pepperoni for me. But it's not far from Dodger Stadium. It's a good place to stop in pre post game, get a, get a pie. Yeah. A lot of people said any place where I don't have to make the food myself. Again, the dishes, so many dishes when you cook yourself. I know. This, I want all of these things. Yeah. That's bad. I feel like when this is over, I'm going to want to eat every single meal out of the house. We're hungry right now. So this is, this was a bad topic. This is a bad topic. We should have had dinner before we did this. Let's wrap this part up. Uh, Speaking of places we miss, we have talked a lot about our foundation the last couple episodes and we've mentioned CHLA being a spot that's so near and dear to our hearts and they actually have their walk and play event coming up and we wanted to bring on a great friend of ours with Annie Cornforth. She's the director of corporate partnerships at CHLA and she she's a part of everything and we'll obviously get into all of that with her. But what she does is so special and she's kind of, I guess, the link between you and all the visits that you do there and all the relationships that we've built with the kids and the events that we've done there. So Let's bring on Annie. Hi, Annie. How are you? Hello. Hi, Justin and Courtney. (laughs) Hey, Annie. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I know this is a big week for everyone at CHLA uh, with the big walk and play event coming up. So I want to get into that. But first, why don't you give us a little background about what you do at Children's Hospital LA? Sure. That sounds great. 
Um, yes, and not sure if everyone knows this, but Children's Hospital Los Angeles um, has actually been around for a very long time. Um, we've been around in Los Angeles for over, or actually almost 120 years since 1901. Um, and how it's grown today is um, we now offer more than 350 pediatric specialty programs and services to meet the needs of our patients. Um, and it's such an important um, and, and incredibly important um, place in L.A. And kids come from all over the world to be treated there. Um, and something that I'd like to share a little bit, too, is we are um, a safety net hospital. And what that means is we rely on the generosity and support from the community to simply keep our doors open. Um, we won't turn any child away regardless of economic background or financial status um, of their family. And um, because of that and because we are so um, committed to being a safety net for children and families, um, the foundation um, that, you know, that I work at is so crucial. So I actually work in the foundation and um, my main role is to raise awareness and raise funds for the hospital um, to help with that safety net aspect of the hospital. I love that. And we obviously value our relationship with you. I feel like everything we've yeah. done at CHLA has come through you and it's just such a special place for us and a spe such a special place for the, the foundation as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, absolutely. you know, we do, we do a lot of events there and people have seen mm -hmm. some of the events that we put on um, mm -hmm. through our foundation and, you know, what I want everyone to know is that you are our point person for anything that we do there. So uh, nothing that we've done, this, the Winter Wonderland or the um, cleat decorating for September 1st for yeah. Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, all of that stuff is set up and, and gone through you uh, so you can allow us to to make impact on, on kids that are uh, unfortunately, you know, spending time in the hospital yeah. when, when they should be you know, living normal kid life and, and going right. to school and hanging out with their friends and, you know, playing sports right. and whatnot. So uh, we want to thank you very much because you have helped us extremely in, you know, facilitating our, our foundation. Well, thank you for sharing that. And you actually touched on a really good point um, when you mentioned that these kids should be living normal kid lives and doing normal kid things with friends and playing. And, and unfortunately, you know, they've, um, are going through some of these extreme and critical conditions, um, whether they're fighting cancer or battling heart disease um, or any other critical condition. And working with partners such as you guys and your foundation um, really is, it goes so far and it really makes an impact to help these kids and these families feel as normal as possible and know that people outside the hospital really care about them. Um, so all the visits and the events and the support in so many different ways goes a really long way, um, making an impact on these families. So thank you back. <laughs> of course. And so, yeah, I guess that can bring us into walk and play. You talked about raising awareness and, you know, obviously mm -hmm. raising funds for these critical needs. So May 16th, it's, uh, we're joining yes. again as honorary hosts this year. It's in yes. a little bit of a different format this year. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are so excited. Um, welcome back as our honorary host. We're so excited <laughs> to have you guys join us on Saturday. Um, but yes, as we mentioned, um, due to the, the current climate and um, the fact that our whole world is changing, <laughs> uh, 
um, many things have not changed. And one of those things are that our children are still fighting those critical conditions and critical illnesses. Um, and we, you know, want to be very clear that CHLA is still here to care for our most vulnerable. That is still our priority. So events such as Walk and Play LA must go on because the need is still there. Um, and we were able to pivot and um, shift to a virtual format, which we're really excited about. Um, everyone can tune in and, um, you know, from the comfort of their homes. Um, it should be a lot of fun, and we're so excited to have you guys a part of the program on Saturday. It should be a really fun day. Yeah, you brought up a great point in, in this program, and that's remembering, I think, in this time where everyone is so obviously focused on what's going on right now, um, you know, there's still kids that are, uh, in mm-hmm. the hospital and need attention and need care and need funding and not only the kids, but the families and their support systems. Yeah. Uh, so this is a huge event and uh, we're so happy to be a part of it and help raise awareness and make sure that those kids aren't put on the back burners and aren't forgotten about and are getting, you know, the attention and the care and the awareness that they need. So uh, thank you again for having us. We couldn't be more excited to uh, help kick off the walk and play event. And I think, um, we're going to be introducing someone pretty special to CHLA. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, Maverick Strong? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, um, Courtney and Justin are going to be, um, introducing a really special patient family, um, story. So I hope that everyone tuning in here will be able to attend the event and, and check it out. So you'll learn a little bit more about his story. Um, but it's a really, really special family. Um, the child's name is Maverick, and he was born with um, a chronic kidney disease. And, um, you know, a lot of waiting, a lot of patience, but they actually ended up um, deciding that mom, Maverick's mom, actually donated her kidney to her son. Um, and it just happened earlier this year, and they've been recovering at home during the pandemic, and Um, You'll get to learn a little bit more about their special story, um, and it kind of falls around Mother's Day. Um, I really think that you all will enjoy hearing and being inspired by their story and their strength, Um, and they're doing well, and rumor has it they may even be tuning in at one point um, live on Saturday from home, too, so it should be a special treat. I love that. I can't wait. Obviously, we have such special relationships with so many of the families there, and You've been there when we've done all of our visits and, you know, Justin is, Justin in CHLA, I guess I would say is like Vegas with no clocks. He goes into the room and he, (laughs) (laughs) there's, it's like no time exists and he could spend all day Mm -hmm. with the kids. So obviously there's some pretty special kids at CHLA that we just adore. And so, yeah, we're looking forward to getting to know Maverick a little more. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. And (laughs) I do have to say, I agree. I think the quality of a visit really makes a difference. And when the child knows that you're not rushing from room to room and just spending quality time, it, you know, it'll, it'll impact them. It does impact them for a lifetime. So. Yeah, that's cool. We actually, we actually, one of the the kids, Desmond, who we've gotten to spend a lot of time with and Uh seen a couple of times in the hospital, we have like a interesting little relationship now because through Instagram, we kind of just send each other like popsicle jokes back and forth. So, uh, it's been, it's been pretty funny and I'll send, he was, he posted a picture wearing a a panda costume 
a few oh weeks back. God. And so I, I went on Instagram and I made him a video and told a couple panda oh. jokes. And he was like, I don't know where you get to come up with this stuff. It was so Google. Good. That is so great. <laughs> so yeah, we, it's, it's cool That's to great. like make these relationships with the kids and the families. And, right. um, you know, his mom, right. his mom actually reached out to us, uh, with one of her oh, favorite restaurants. That. And, uh, we ordered some food to help support them to send up, uh, to the Maybe. dream center. So, I mean, it is, I mean, it's, it's cool to go in and, and meet these kids and the families um, because the families are a big part of this too. And I think uh, a lot of people, yeah. when, you know, they hear about kids who are battling these illnesses and diseases, uh, forget about the families and the siblings mm-hmm. that are going through it as well. So, uh, but it's really cool to make those relationships and connections and stay in contact yeah. and, and, and keep communicating with them throughout, um, you know, their whole battle and their whole process. Absolutely. I have to share a little, little, um, little memory. My, one of my favorite visits when you both came to the hospital was when we visited the dialysis unit before the holidays mm-hmm. and you surprised, um, all the patients in the unit and their families with Disneyland tickets. <laughs> um, that was one of my favorites just to see the surprise on their faces and that the whole family got to be together and enjoy something away from the hospital together. It was such a gift. That was, was the really best. Special. I feel like I finally know what Oprah feels like to be on her like favorite things episode where she's like, you get this, you get that. Like just making it rain. All the Disneyland tickets was so special. And, you know, obviously um, we've touched a little in a previous episode on our winter wonderland event that you mm-hmm. helped us pull off, which was incredible. And so kind of taking that, you know, our annual visits around the holidays and trying to spread mm-hmm. joy, kind of helping us take that to the next level. If Justin, I know Obviously, it was kind of your dream and your heart that you made happen, if you want to touch a little on that. Well, yeah, I mean, it was something that we've wanted to do for a few years now. And mm-hmm. the amazing thing was that first day, I think we um, we met in, in the office and sat down and, and talked about everything that we wanted. And yeah. the cool part was, is from your guys' end, it, it was like all hands on deck, like, right away. Like, what can we do? How can we help? How can we facilitate this? And, you know, it's not exactly an easy thing to, um, and you know better than I do, but to facilitate like that type of an event of an event at a hospital and get permission for the kids to leave their rooms and come outside Mm -hmm. and, and go through that stuff. So, um, you know, your involvement and the willingness to jump on board with us and help us kind of like, you know, accomplish you know, our dream, which is something yeah. that we saw forever in the Justin Turner Foundation was so amazing. And I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about it. Uh, you know, I've talked about it a lot and people have probably heard it from my end, but you know, what was it like for you and, and the kids experience that day? Yeah. I mean, it was, it really was a magical day. And, um, for all of your listeners, um, if you have not checked out the video you can find it on youtube (laughs) um or chla it is such a it was a beautiful day it was truly magical um my i mean it it was a beautiful i think partnership in the very beginning and i do remember that first meeting we had um and partnering with mindy weiss to help on the production side and um it really was your vision and and we never would have dreamed of doing anything like that at chla so thank you for bringing that to to us um but we were able to touch our, not only our inpatients, but our outpatients too. So we touched so many kids that day and so many families. And I'll never forget the first session that we had when the curtain was unveiled and 
the, the first kids walking into the tented wonderland. It really was special to see their faces and, um, and yeah, it was, it was beautiful and I hope we get to do it again. Um, I just got chills thinking about that when the curtain first opened yeah. and the music started playing and all the yeah. characters were there and cause we didn't yeah. know what to expect. Obviously it was a lot mm-hmm. of meetings and phone calls and seeing yeah. if we could actually pull it off because as you mentioned, it's, you know, it's a difficult thing to get, be able to get all the kids together and make sure it's done in a safe manner. So everyone's right. okay. And yeah, there was moments where we're like, can we pull this off? And so the, like that just sigh of relief and that joy on everyone's face made everything worth mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. It's a great way to describe it. And um, I love, I, I, every now and then I'll go back and watch the recap video just to like, remember what it felt like. <laughs> It was a magical day. I'll, I Thank watch it all the time. I'll definitely, I'll definitely <laughs> have to post the video so everyone can revisit that. I know it'll pop up every once in a while in my yeah. on my phone and I'll watch through it. Yeah. It's so good. Well, and everyone could use a little holiday spirit right about now too, right? Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> some people are hanging Christmas lights right now, you know, just to spread some cheer. Or may, oh, yeah. they are? Yeah. I, saw, oh, I thought yeah. our neighbors left theirs up from... December, but maybe they're stringing them up. Oh, right yeah. now. <laughs> I have seen some. Yeah, I've seen some. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. <laughs> so, yeah. So Justin and I, you know, we've talked about how his platform that he's been given through baseball and the choice that we've made to use that for good. And, you know, obviously you can use that for celebrity or endorsements or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, Justin realizes that he is a role model and he has a responsibility and how he carries himself and what he does is being watched by not only other adults, but kids from very young are noticing his behaviors and everything. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, you have a firsthand, you know, a front row seat of seeing that impact of, you know, when you have an athlete or a celebrity or a notable figure come into the hospital and the impact that they can make. So I guess touch on that and, you know, kind of the importance of that and what, how you see that, you know, affecting lives at CHLA. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I actually, um, come from the sports world. I worked, um, in professional sports my entire career before CHLA and, um, exactly what you just said is what inspired me to move over to kind of the other side of things. Um, there's something very, very special about, um, the power and the connection that, any influencer celebrity or celebrity can make on um, someone going through a hardship, whether it's a child in a hospital or, um, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but I saw something very, very special about a, specifically an athlete, the type of connection that an athlete can make with a child going through, um, you know, the unthinkable, um, whether it's dealing with chemo and cancer or other surgeries or, or diseases, um, defects, things like that. Um, and something about the, the parallel between what an athlete goes through and Justin, you can speak more to this than I can, but the, the perseverance and the training and the, um, you know, the never giving up and the ups and downs and all of that, there's something that really parallels with what our children are going through at the hospital. Um, so I feel like the power and the connection between an athlete and our children is even more powerful than some of the other supporters out there. And um, that's really what inspired me to move over to CHLA. I was at the Clippers for a long time and CHLA was our partner. And um, that first year that we partnered with them, I'm like, hmm, I'm going to work there. (laughs) 
and I saw the impact that the basketball players made when visiting the hospital and it was just so special and um, it really is what inspired me that connection that an athlete can make um, with these children um, is really what inspired me to do something a little different with my career. Yeah, I think that connection is definitely, you know, something that is real. And I, I think it's something that is, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say it's relatable because we're not going through what the kids are going yeah. through. But like you said, the work and the preparation and the time that you put into your craft and you're trying to, you know, mm-hmm. reach the pinnacle and, and make it to the major leagues or to be the best. And it is a, it is in sports, uh, something that you just continuously get knocked down and have to get back up and continuously get knocked down and have to get back up. And then when you go in these rooms and you spend time with these kids and these families and you realize this is what they're living every single day, you know, it kind of puts things into perspective for us Mm -hmm. and it, and it makes, I, I don't do it to like get perspective or to, you know, look at my sport and and enjoy my sport more. I do it because I truly enjoy the connections, but I do think it helps uh, put things in perspective as to, you know, my baseball career and what I'm going through and, you know, losing a world series. Like, did it suck? Yeah. Or losing two world series. (laughs) Did it suck? Yeah, it was horrible. But like at the end of the day, you, you walk into this hospital with these kids and they're waking up every morning um, Mm -hmm. battling the unthinkable and it just totally changes your mindset on everything. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And, um, yeah, I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think even now during this pandemic that we're dealing with, I think people are really understanding how important like personal and human connection is. Um, so I think back at all the visits that we've done together at the hospital and, and how special those are and really is not to be taken for granted, um, especially now. And, um, but yeah, those connections really go a long way. Very impactful. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Well, that's definitely my favorite part is those connections. So, um, I you, think you're such like a special guest for us because you make that connection of the community and the sports world. And obviously you coming from the Clippers. I think you were there for was it 12 years. Oh, a long time. 13 years. Oh my I gosh. <laughs> that's like a hundred years it. in job world, I think. Which... I know. <laughs> I know. It's nutty how long I was there. But it was great. One of the best years of my life. It was an incredible, incredible ride working there. I love that. You must have some good stories. Are there any that I can dig out of you that you can share with us? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Gosh, there's so many. I mean, every year there were so many. And, and um, just working for any team whether you're front office or not you really do feel part of the team and so um I'm still in contact with all my old co-workers we're still good friends and um and I must say like one of my favorite memories from my Clipper days this always stands out when I start to reminisce about those days um I worked with sponsors so I I coordinated and managed all of the sponsorship and corporate partnership activations and uh, which was a whole other fun world of just connecting brands, the fans, and the athletes, and making it all kind of work together. Um, one of my favorite memories is when we had Blake Griffin. He was, I think it was the second year that he was playing for us, and um, All-Star, NBA All-Star was in L.A. He hosted clients for every, every um, game or every event for All-Star, and I'll never forget as you guys probably remember, um, the year that Blake dunked over the Kia car on the court. Um, yeah. Oh, I'll yeah. Never, 
of, I remember how that. can you forget that, right? right? With the choir in the background, and they roll out of Kia, and Baron Davis is coming out the sunroof. Never forget that. We were actually watching that happen with all of the Kia executives oh um, in a suite. And we were, I've never been more on the edge of my seat for any event or any show or any movie or anything than that. Because we're like, is he going to make it? Is he going to trip? Is he going to fall? Is it going to hurt? Like, it was so nerve-wracking watching it with them. But then when he did it without any problems, you know, just like breathed over the car, it was just such a fun moment to see, like, the combination of what's so beautiful about sports. It was the fans were excited, the, you know, the player made the feet right and then tying in a brand too it was just such a beautiful beautiful moment i will never forget that <laughs> yeah that was the first time anyone had jumped over a car in a dunk contest yeah, if i if i'm not definitely. mistaken and i gotta know i gotta know when you were up in the suite with the kia people yeah. and he obviously he jumps over the car catches the ball two hand dunks and yeah. then everyone's probably going crazy, but then he like swings back and he dismounts on the hood of the car. <laughs> like yes, were the Kia oh people like freaking out, like, oh my God, he's going to smash the hood of this car. It held up though. It was, yeah, it did hold I mean, that shows a good quality car, right? Yeah. Um, yes, it was very nerve wracking. I remember we were completely silent and I know I was covering my eyes pretty much the whole time. Like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Um, but then, yeah, it was just such like a celebration of release after too. And it was, yeah. It what was, was the backup plan? You know what? I, there wasn't, I don't think there was a backup plan to be honest. <laughs> Did um, he practice it before or was it like a one-time deal? So I, from what I understand, he did practice the night before, um, but nobody that we were watching it with in the suite knew that. I don't think I knew that. I think I found that out later. So <laughs> to most of us, we all thought it was the first time, but I, yeah. What's the insurance policy that Kia has to take out in case Blake falls know, a right? little short and clips his foot and then smashes his face through the windshield? I know, <laughs> I know, right? I can't even like, imagine. Can you imagine oh. that? That would have been insane. That is horrific. Yeah, that was such a, it was such a fun time to be with the Clippers organization that time. It was just, it was such a ride. And um, he was an incredible asset to the team during that time. But yeah, that was one of my favorite memories for sure. That's awesome. That. So cool. And then I heard a little rumor that you used to intern for our, I guess, rivals to the south. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the Dodger rivals. The Los Angeles. I well, did. what was it at that point? They were the Anaheim Angels. Okay. It was still the Anaheim Angels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know my house times have changed. Um, yeah. I um, interned with the Angels when they were owned by Disney. So it was Anaheim Sports. I was going to ask um, if they were in the Disney yeah. jerseys with the little wings and <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, it was the angels and the mighty ducks um, owned by Anaheim sports. And um, yeah, it was, it was definitely an incredible time. I, um, you know, graduated from college and immediately got this internship and it was just like skyrocketed my career and internships back then at the Angels were, it was like a full-time job. It was a full-time, you know, entry level job. Um, but you know, interns have to do it all. You really have to work from the bottom up. And I remember one story, um, it, we were playing the A's, I think, I think it was the Oakland A's and the baseline signage that is all digital now. I know it's been digital for a long time. Um, but on the grass, the signage that rotates throughout the game was all motorized and operated by a computer. 
And I'll never forget, we heard word before the game that one of the motors was out on the first base line side. And <laughs> no other intern stepped up except me. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I can to, you know, work hard and, you know, just learn every area of the, the organization that I can. And so I volunteered to actually turn the motor by my hands and I have tiny little hands. I know you can't see them now, but they're tiny. <laughs> and I had to roll the signage down on the field right next to the, I was in the photo well um, by the away team dugout, by the A's dugout. And every half inning I had to get up in front of however many people, thousands and thousands of people and actually hand roll the signage. It was security. It was didn't, security didn't think you were running on the field. Um, no, thank goodness. <laughs> But I do have to say, I'm pretty sure by a half, like, like maybe inning five, inning four or five, um, it, it was completely ruined because my hands were not big enough to, like, hold the whole thing. So it was completely bunched up, and I think we had to leave it on one sponsor the last half of the game. And oh, it was it was an interesting time. You were like <laughs> so the – I'll never forget that. You were the blue-collar Vanna White of the Angels, I, basically. That is – <laughs> I've never heard that. That's amazing. Yep. You should add that to your LinkedIn page as one <laughs> yeah, of your... Yeah, what a description. Uh, I should. I should. <laughs> no, but I remember it was just so... like When I think back at my internship days, that was one of my favorite moments because it really taught me the power of like hard work and really stepping up and being proactive. And even if I messed up the signage rule or whatever it was that I ruined, um, it, it really taught me that you really have to just step it up and... Um, sometimes not doing the ideal job will kind of get you to where you want to be eventually. So absolutely. I will give you one piece of advice though, Annie, whenever you mentioned okay. that you went to college, make sure you're proud <laughs> enough to say that you were a Titan. Cause I'm a Titan. You're oh, a Titan yeah. <laughs> and Courtney's outnumbered right. right now. It's not very often that the Titans can outnumber a UCLA girl. So, um, yeah, don't, don't be you're too bashful to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, very proud Titan. I love Cal State Fullerton. Woo. That's <laughs> awesome. Loud and proud. I love that. I feel like there's a lot of people now that, you know, have a little too much pride and they want to kind of hop into their dream role and just have everything kind of there and laid out. And so I think I love that reminder of, you know, you have to be willing to do the jobs that aren't as glamorous. Right. I used to be the Dunkin' Donuts latte cup at um, oh my gosh. store openings amongst other odd jobs throughout oh my the gosh, world. <laughs> and here I am oh hosting my, my own podcast, <laughs> a real okay, uh, tell me, rags to riches story. Please tell me that is on your LinkedIn. Please tell me that is on your LinkedIn. I don't even have a LinkedIn. I should get one. Oh. Annie, I should build one. Annie, she pulled up the photos last night and was flipping through all of her mascot photos that she dressed up That's as. Amazing. Yeah, yeah that you gotta amazing. you gotta crawl before you walk and play. You know. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Walk and play. Yeah, everyone, go to walk and play this exactly. week. Exactly. Yes. I'm gonna have to see. I'm gonna have to see those photos. By the way, um, you, I'll send them visit. to you. I don't know if I'll post them. But <laughs> those might not make it on the uh, Instagram. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. I'll make sure to post uh, the link so everyone can check out Walk and Play and help support awesome. CHLA. Just thank you so much. We have obviously love our friendship and our relationship we have with you. And yeah, we're just so grateful we could chat with you today. No, thank you so much for having me. And thank you both for all you do in the community and um, you're just lights in this world. So thank you very, very much. Of course. And hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. 
Absolutely. And we'll see you Saturday at Walk and Play LA. Well, yeah, <laughs> we'll see you virtually, but hopefully we'll see you in <laughs> we'll person see you virtually soon. Virtually <laughs> through the stream. <laughs> Thanks, Annie. All right, Annie. All right. Bye. Bye. Oh, she is the best. And I love her stories at the end too. I yeah. feel like she's the perfect connection of sports and community and everything the podcast stands for. She's amazing and her energy and passion for the kids and, you know, just going above and beyond to make their lives better is truly uh, remarkable. And we're, we're as a foundation so lucky to uh, have her as our point woman um, as our contact person at CHLA and she just, yeah, I mean, she, she helps make it happen. Like everything we do, she's, she's the glue between us and and CHLA. So it's great. I love that. Well, that's going to do it for this week for us. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. See you guys. Bye.